KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. For me, helping us navigate all those things, be at the forefront, but also remain who we are. That's a challenge. Players are going to have NIL opportunities here, off-court opportunities here, making guys feel confident this is a place that they can expand their brand and opportunities, but that not be the reason they come. You know, the reason they come is the people that are here, the culture that is here. And our guest this week is Baker Dunleavy, who was just brought on board as the general manager of Villanova Basketball. And Baker, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to do it. So I think people at the professional level are familiar with the general manager term and what it entails. This is new for college basketball. Of course, the last few years have shown us it's a new frontier in college hoops. Uh, What falls under your purview? What uh, is your role as GM? It's a good question, Matt. I think it's something that is probably unique to every university. I think the title and, and this type of role will continue to pop up other places as we go forward. Um, and the reason for that is because the scope of a head coach's job, especially in men's basketball uh, right now, is is very broad. I think five, six years ago, as, as recently as, as then, a head coach could kind of manage everything at least delegate everything within his own staff with the transfer portal and with NIL and and other things in our our modern game. I think at Villanova, we feel like we want to give our coaches the ability to recruit, coach the student athletes, mentor them, and that be their primary focus. So a big part of my job is to maybe take some of the things off of the plate of our coaching staff that can be done at a more administrative level, you know, certainly helping our program navigate into this future that seems a little bit uncertain right now. You know, it's always changing and make sure that kind of the priorities for us are that we're innovative, that we're at the forefront, but at the same time, we continue to to prioritize our, our culture and environment. So you're dealing with things like transfer portal, name image likeness. I am curious specifically with name image likeness, and I don't mean this tongue in cheek, like, do you know what you don't know yet? Because it is so new and it seems like it's different everywhere and certain schools have gone all in other schools are hesitant how much of it is the wild wild west i think it certainly is a lot of that it is a lot of unknown naturally because it's at, it's at the beginning stages i think the things that we know um that we can carry forward is who we are and who we want to be so as things change around us that we are willing to adapt and and do things a little differently but again not to sacrifice our values and and what makes us Villanova. So, you know, I think for even from an NIL perspective or branding opportunities, the things that, you know, make you excited about a Villanova are going to be different than they will be at a big, you know, Big Ten state school or, or whatever have you. So I think, uh, again, emphasizing who we are and what our strengths are is going to continue to speak to student athletes, prospective student athletes, no matter what changes around us. I know you've only been on the job for a bit, so a lot of it is just kind of getting your hands around the position. But what's a day like right now? Are you in constant contact? Because you're working with the men and the women's program. So with Kyle Neptune, Denise Dillon, like, you know, constantly finding out what they need. Are you, Is it more, hey, we just heard this, so-and-so is interested in, in coming here or, you know, giving money for NIL? Like, how does it work or is it both ways? I think the term general manager, I think the, 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 the emphasis is definitely on, on general. You know, I think there's a lot of, it's a broad-based job. You know, for example, uh, we had a, a men's recruit on campus this past weekend. 
Um, Denise has somebody coming through tomorrow. So during those visits, I'll have my part in explaining kind of uh, Villanova's pledge in terms of what we can do to help them uh, maximize their opportunities on and off the court. Certainly, I think you know we're working really closely with our coaching staffs, not only on things like NIL, but also roster management, culture management, um, making sure the communication between our coaching staff, our administration, the outside world, our alums is really really tight. Um, I think in this in this new kind of environment, that communication to the outside to very specific people is really really important. Um, as much as people need to know to, to make sure the right people are clued in and that everybody's on the same page. So I think communications are a really big part of my job and, and making sure that I can be a conduit to all, all of those levels. The fact that I coached here and have a lot of longstanding relationships here, I think will help me be able to hopefully fast track that. Mentioned you coached here. You are an alum. Was this something, because you were having, you were really starting to build things at Quinnipiac, having some success as the head coach there. Was it the opportunity to come back to Villanova? Was it this brand new opportunity that was fresh and exciting and something maybe you could help really mold into what it would be or a little bit of both that was the driving factor to, to get you in there? Yeah. I mean, you're, Matt, you're, you're right on it. You got my answers before I even give them. It's the truth. Exactly what you said. Uh, I was really proud of what we had going on at, at Quinnipiac to win 20 games in this environment, especially at the mid-major level, is difficult with roster roster fluctuations. Thought we had a strong base coming back for next year. Really excited that my coaching staff gets to continue that that charge. For me, coming off of a strong season, I felt like that was the time to really reevaluate. Um, you know, when you have that type of season, that's when you're supposed to even double down on your commitment to what you're doing. And to be a college basketball coach, you need to be obviously two feet in for lack of a better term. I felt myself just drifting a little bit in terms of my passion to do that part of the job. And I would have never left for any other opportunity, but for one outside of coaching, ironically, and, and especially here. So that wasn't my plan. My plan wasn't to leave when this opportunity came up. It kind of checked a lot, a lot of boxes for myself and also my family. You know, my wife, Chrissy, and I have four young girls who have a lot of family here on the main line and and, and look forward to coming back, um, despite being Connecticut, Connecticut being an amazing home for six years. As the head coach, you kind of started, I'm sure, to have all these things that you just talked about taking off Kyle Neptune and Denise Dillon's plate. I'm sure they were started to be put on your plate when you were in that head coaching role. Do you think that gives you kind of a unique perspective that you kind of understand what's coming and, and what you need to take and what is really a burden to the head coach day to day and something that they really shouldn't have to be able to worry about? I hope so. I think for me, um, leaving for six years and being somewhere drastically different, it almost gives me a fresh perspective coming back in as well. I think when you're a head coach like Denise and Kyle, you look for somebody to kind of run ideas past and get feedback on that might give you a different perspective or confirm what you're already thinking. I think that'll be a big part of my role and certainly something I'd love to to do for them as much as they want it. But yes, I think I think a coach's perspective on some things that they know they need to delegate or they want to delegate, but having the trust that somebody can help them that has their viewpoint on things, that has the experience and can I empathize with what they feel as head coaches, I hope will add some level of synergy to what we're doing. So basketball is throughout your family. It's been throughout your life. I'm curious, your dad, longtime NBA coach, brother in the NBA, but what's your earliest basketball memory? 
be it playing, be it watching, being noticed, dads being interviewed on TV, and none of the other kids in my class seem to have their dads interviewed on TV. What's your earliest memory? Yeah, good question. It's definitely actually goes back to my dad being an assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks under Dell Harris uh, in the late 80s. They had a strong team, Sidney Moncrief, uh, Ricky Pierce, Jack Sikma, you know, playoff teams, some really good teams. He was an assistant coach. So my brother, Mike, uh, and I, Mike's two years older than me, would go to practice. And, um, you know, part of the reason Mike is a 15-year NBA player or, or whatever he was, he would he would go there, take mental notes, watch practice, mimic, you know, mimic the players as they were going through their drills. And, and I'd get lost back in the locker room, messing with the equipment managers, you know, trying to find what flavor of gum they had back there. So so my seriousness about the game developed later than Mike's. But having those memories and those privileges were just just amazing, amazing growing up. And I wouldn't trade them for anything. Was there an age when you kind of realized that how special this was? Because I'm sure for when you're growing up and it's in the household, it's just life. Like you don't maybe have the, you know, you're too young to have the context that this is an extraordinary experience. And this is, I'm front of the stage for things that most people only dream about. How old was it when you kind of realized, you know, what was going on? Well, I think my dad's first head coaching job being the Los Angeles Lakers taking over for Pat Riley there when he was 36. I mean, I was looking back now. I don't think I had appreciation for the scale of that job then. Obviously, as a kid, I was probably about nine years old. But looking back and, and, and looking at those teams and the fact that they went to the finals with Magic his first year. And I remember watching Magic at practice and interacting with the team. Um, you know, after my dad's first year there, he announced he was HIV positive, you know, going through all those things. When you look back, you just have a great appreciation for both of my parents, you know, what they, um, and being in the public eye and, and, and as intense situations as those were in, in, in Los Angeles and that my dad was four years younger than I am now when he went through that, it's pretty amazing. I probably got more serious and more aware of what basketball meant to me. As I got older, when we moved to Portland, Oregon, and I was in ninth grade, that was probably when my passion and, and really commitment took off. And part of that is just moving to a new part of the country and new friends, new everything. And, you know, what, what you can fall back on is I know basketball and, and dive deeper into that. So I think that's probably when it happened for me. You mentioned the public eye, and I'm curious because sports talk and the coverage of sports, it was intense then. I mean, it's nothing like we see now where it's coming from 12 different directions, 24 hours a day. But was it difficult to handle when you would see people criticizing something, a decision your dad did or stuff like that? Or you hear fans? Was that hard to, to navigate or what is it like? Because that's another that's kind of the other side of this, this opportunity that few people have. But you had to listen to dad get ragged on the radio because, you know, he went, he put his second worst defender on this guy late in the game or whatever. Sure. You know, I think about it all the time just because I'm reminded now back then it was a newspaper article, you know? And so when it was limited to, you know, drive time radio and newspaper articles, it hit you, but you know, maybe a kid would come in class and say they saw the article or their dad was talking about it, but now it's just different. I mean, a lot of these kids in grade school probably have their own iPhones and they're scrolling on Twitter showing you, you know, what's on there. So I can only imagine what it's like to be a coach's kid right now in this current environment. So I, I look at it like we went through absolutely nothing. Uh, we were also really fortunate as we got older. My dad's teams, especially in Portland, were really good. You know, they had, they had really talented players. And so for the most, most part, they won. 
And when you lost to the Lakers every year in the playoffs, people would complain, but there's only so much that they could that they could say. So it was really not something that bothered us. And I think my dad was amazing in his ability to to cut it off and really not bring it home. He didn't bring any of that stuff home, whether it was a loss, whether it was net criticism or, or uh, interaction with players, whatever it was. He was amazing at kind of sheltering us from that. In 2000, I want to say it was 2001, 2000 maybe, the fi- uh, Western Finals against the Lakers, Game 7 in L.A. I went to the game. They, I think they held a 13-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And Shaq and Kobe went on an amazing run, and, and the Blazers lost the game. And I still remember my dad coming out of the locker room into the tunnel, and I was expecting him to just be completely broken down and tearful. And he just was amazing at putting on a strong face and getting through it and, and, and trusting the fact that he put all the work he possibly could into it and trusting that that's all he could do. And that's, that's been his message to us through our athletic journey and our life journey all the way. I think you mentioned ninth grade was when the passion really started with basketball. Do you feel like you always have seen the game differently from most players because of the coaching background of your dad and what you were surrounded by? Like you maybe kind of saw the whole chessboard a little more? You know, I I think my perspective is one that a lot of people would want, you know, the ones that go into coaching, obviously. I'd be lying if I said that I was preparing to be a coach when I saw those things. Uh, You know, everybody thinks they're going to be an NBA player. But looking back, it's helped me a lot. And being able to kind of look back and then ask my dad questions and pick his brain. But to be honest, I mean, my experience at Villanova with Coach Wright, watching him his second year here was my first year, you know, as a freshman student athlete here at Villanova. So I've had great a front row seat and watching him build a program my first time through as a player watching what worked and didn't, and then coming back, you know, in 2010 as an administrator and then and then as a coach, you know, from the ground up both times and, and watching him go through that. And so similarly, I pick his brain on, hey, what were you thinking at this point? And, and in my new role here, I will continue to do that because he was obviously amazing as a coach, but as a leader, as an organizer, as somebody that just, I think I was always one step ahead. I mean, he's... He's somebody we can all continue to learn from. When you were looking at colleges in high school, when you start to realize you're going to be able to play basketball a little further than most, what sold you on Villanova and were there other places in play for your services uh, before you went to Villanova? Yeah, I I did a a prep here at Lawrenceville Prep in New Jersey and uh, played in the Maple League there against, you know, schools like St. Benedict's and Blair. Uh, Villanova was recruiting Luol Deng, Charlie Villanueva. Maybe J.R. Smith was at St. Benedict's at the time. So it's some really good competition. So the staff saw me play a good amount. Uh, but my real connection to Villanova was actually through my brother, Mike. Mike, on the previous summer, had played on a USA Basketball Pan Am team for Coach Beheim, And Jay, Jay was one of the assistant coaches on that team. So they kind of, I mean, they have some funny stories about about their experience down there. But I think Mike was was somebody and, and vice versa. They they kind of were drawn to each other and created a close connection. And coach was introduced a little bit to, to my situation. I was a mid-major player at best. And um, at, you know, during that season, I think typical coach Wright really values chemistry, roster structure, saw the need for somebody to come in and be a scholarship player, um, a good player, but somebody that didn't need to play right away. Somebody that could, if those guys like Randy Foy, Alan Ray, Jason Frazier, Curtis Sumter were to leave early that we would have an experienced player there, but not complaining about playing time, somebody that valued the experience of being part of Villanova. So 
I had to compare that a little bit to some players, some places where I knew I would play more. But at the end of the day, um, I probably had a, a real value on being a part of something really big. You know, Mike was at Duke. I probably really valued that part of it. And I fell into by accident an opportunity that it was really about a family and a network that has helped me the rest of my life, which is what you should be thinking about and um, what we talk to families a lot about when we're recruiting. You mentioned those names, guys like Alan Ray, like just from a practice on a Tuesday, like what was the energy like in the gym? Because you ran off a special group of names that are Villanova lore and to be a part of that. I think we all know the wins. We all know the headlines, the tournament run and everything. But just day to day, what was it like to be in the gym with those guys? Uh, the word I would think of first is just really competitive. I thought those guys were, um, especially when we added a guy like Kyle Lowry to the mix, but we were from from day one very competitive with each other. I think that was driven by coach and his staff, guys like Brett Gunning, Billy Lang, Joe Jones, Ed Pinkney. They did a great job of cultivating a really healthy um, family environment, but also competition. It was a little different back then in the rules. Like Coaches weren't even allowed to be on the court during the summer with players. So the quality of your leadership, the quality of your kind of open gyms and player-led workouts had to be high if your team was going to get better during summer school. Uh, we had guys like Alvin Williams, John Haynes come back in the summer and and help us run those workouts, push us. That was the environment back then. It was really, it was really important that it was player-led. And I think Curtis and Randy and Alan, those guys really learned on the fly how to be leaders and, and push the program forward. Early on, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of unknown um, because we hadn't proven anything yet. Villanova hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in quite a while. And I don't think, I think people would be lying if they were like, oh, we knew how good we were. We were we were just destined to break through. I mean, that was not the case. We, we were not totally sure. And, um, you know, like anything, we had to do it and, and, and achieve it. And then it snowballed from there. But before it happened that year uh, in 2000, I guess, spring of 2005, you know, I don't think any of us were certain that, that it was going to happen. You mentioned you probably could have gone to, you know, some mid-majors and played more, but you weren't a guy that, that complained. But is there an internal, like everybody wants to play, everybody's, if you're playing high-level basketball, you're competitive. But was there an internal where you kind of realized, okay, this is what it's going to be. When my number's called, I'll be ready to go, but I'm not going to be a 30-minute-a-game guy like did you have to have that kind of discussion like kind of once you settled in and kind of saw the lay of the land i think so i think i think all of us have a tendency to focus on the best case scenario turnouts for our future and you know i did come to villanova with the thought that later in my career i could become a starting level player and play a lot of minutes and that i just had to be patient and work hard uh, which was the right way to think as my career went on. And those guys also were four year players. You know, I was, a little, I was realistic about it. And and there were times where, you know, the grass is greener. Hey, I'd rather go somewhere and play a lot more, but I was never tempted to transfer just because, I, you know, I was at least mature enough to know what I had at Villanova was special as far as a friend group, uh, a program, you know, I wise enough to know that I was not an NBA player and that I didn't want to leave this experience. And so that you can't have everything. But what I've gotten out of Villanova, even to this point at 40 years old, is more than I can say. A lot. I think a lot of people get out of their their college. And um, I'm so proud to be a part of it. And and never did I waver. But it, it, it took a little bit of growing up to understand that, hey, that wasn't going to be a part of my experience. But I uh, had amazing teammates. And looking back on those guys that I mentioned before, 
um, their friendship to this day is, is, uh, you know, it's worth every penny. Is there a playing moment that does come to the top of the list of things when you think about your playing career that is the, the one or two that, that are the first ones on the list? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, uh, like really a, a prototypical example of what coach talked about when he recruited me and when I decided to sign on here, you know, it didn't come to fruition that I became a starting level player, but I think coach always had trust that if he had to use me, that I would do what the team needed and do my job at a high level. 2005, my junior year, we had foul trouble and injuries against North Carolina in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 at the Carrier Dome. And then down the stretch in the last two minutes of that game, I had to play. You know, we, it was a tie game. A lot of people remember Alan Ray's famous um, kind of move to the basket where he was called for travel. You know, I was I was the inbounder on our press break at the end of that game. I had to play offense, defense, you know, to come in, come out. So, I mean, I probably hadn't gotten into a game in weeks at that point. But I was confident and, and knew that, you know, my teammates and coaches had confidence in me. And I was really proud that I was able to come in there and, you know, not screw it up. You reference maturity and there has to be a maturity to say, sit several games in a row and not play and then get thrust into a situation like that. It's got to be some mental toughness too, to not just deal with the not playing, but the flip of a switch. Jay looks down the bench and says, all right, Baker, we need you. And to be in the right mindset to go in and do what you're supposed to do and not try to do a million things at once because you're so amped to to get in there. Well, it's the beauty of coach right in coaching isn't always about um you know overcomplicating things or doing things that are tricky but it's having your players ready and, and all the way down to the 10th man. And so I can't even begin to imagine how many times he said in front of the team Chris Charles Baker Hey, these guys, these guys are ready. They're working hard. If we need them, we know we can always, he would say that to the team to build that trust. And and he got us to buy into that personally and collectively, just like he got Randy Foy to buy into being one of the best defenders in the Big East, even though he could go score a basket anytime he wanted. So his ability to get collective buy-in to things that cause winning was one of his greatest gifts and part of the reason we're all here. We need to take a break. We will have more with Baker Dunleavy right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Baker Dunleavy, who was recently named the general manager of Villanova men's and women's basketball. So when does coaching come into your circle as far as something you were going to pursue? Obviously, it's in the family with your dad, but you initially went into the business world out of college. Were you not sure if coaching or did you want to kind of get away from it and take a deep breath and then maybe get back into the game? What was the the mindset there? I was definitely split. It wasn't that I didn't want to coach. It was just more that um, I had lived that life growing up and I knew the pitfalls of it. I also said, if I'm going to try something different, it's going to be now. If you go into coaching and want to get out of it later, nobody wants to hire a coach. But if you if you go into business and, and you can do a good job, I, I was lucky enough to get a job at Merrill Lynch Bank of America and, and institutional trading um, and learn a lot there. I felt like that outside experience could help me if I ever did decide to go back to basketball. So um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I think it helped me get really uncomfortable, learn new business, but also how to connect with people, um, which most businesses you're in, that's that's the core of it. I think my experience working with a team helped me at least be functional and, and helpful in that job. And going through the process of of learning a total new craft in that industry I think it's helped me going forward. Is there a moment of, okay, I need to get back into basketball 
Or does the opportunity come and you start to think, I've gotten a lot out of this path, but now let's get back into basketball? It was gradual. It wasn't just a moment, but it was gradual. I was probably two and a half years into my job at Merrill. And, um, you know, I, it would probably be around that springtime, postseason college basketball, obviously, where you get the itch and see something you want to be a part of again. But uh, I really missed being a part of a team. And um, and I was part of a team at Merrill, but it's just different. And, and so that itch really, really grew. I, I discussed it with Coach Wright over the course of probably two years with the first probably year and a half, him just saying, don't, don't do it. You're crazy. You're on a good path. Stick with what you're doing. But he knew over time, he knew it was what I wanted to do. A position opened up here and he was, he was um, generous enough to, to, to bring me back and trust me to, to do a job. Was there a change? I don't want to say in the relationship, but what was it like going from a player for Jay Wright to, you know, one of his right-hand men sitting next to him on the on the bench, you know, sitting in his office, talking strategy, talking about what do we expect against UConn on Saturday night? Like, was it, what was it like? Was it, did it seem seamless? Well, I think, you know, my experiences at Villanova, like most people's have been earning your way into a role. And so when I came here as a freshman, my role and my status was a little bit different when I was a senior in terms of the trust that coach had in me and the leadership that I was able to kind of be a part of. And that's natural for any player. I left and I was outside the the school, and then I became somebody that it was all it was all positive with coach. It was him helping me in any way he could. Uh, when he would speak about me, he'd speak glowingly in front of people and how proud he was that I was on Wall Street and doing that. And then when you come back and work for him, you know you get back to that reality of hey, right now you're the you're the director of operations. You know you got to learn this job. There's pressure on you. Get it right. Supported me in any way he could, but also pushed me. And just like I was a young player, you know, had my bumps in the road, but earned his trust and got promoted up the the chain of the assistant coaching ranks eventually to associate head coach. And, and when I got into that role, it's like being a senior captain on the on the playing squad. So he does a great job of kind of mirroring what he expects from his team and his coaching staff. Very similar expectations, very similar guidelines and and and, and thought process, obviously different. But that part of the experience was the same in terms of just your actions and your dependability continuing to to prove to coach and everybody that you can be trusted with responsibility. And then once you have that, the job becomes that much more enjoyable. How much did having a few years between your playing and you coming back as a member of the staff help in the idea that I talk to a lot of people who get into coaching and their first gig is a GA for their alma mater and you go from palling around with the players and being one of them and going out on a Saturday night to suddenly it's like a switch flips. And now the dynamic can be odd. It's weird that you, now you're in a position of authority. How much did it help that there was that break where for the most part, everybody you played with probably had moved on and you were coming back. Yes, you were an alum. You mentioned coach spoke about you, but it was right from the jump. You were, different from the players am i making sense of how that dynamic work absolutely i think what you described as far as being a ga like jumping right into it can be difficult i understand why that dynamic would be tough i also think it's really important to get outside perspective i think some people go to the same school their whole lives or um yeah go work at their college right away and all they know is their their college right so for me going to work in the financial um in the financial industry kind of gave me that fresh perspective. I also came back at an older age, you know, as a professional where the players that were in that locker room really didn't, they knew who I was, but they didn't really know me. Similar to right now, you know, going away, coaching in the Mac for six years. None of these guys have played for me 
the last guy I was a part of recruiting was probably Brandon Slater, who's who's now graduating. So there's a fresh group there that I can build relationships with. I think that's really healthy. I think be able to bring outside perspective and fresh perspective on things and different ways of doing things, but also having obviously a point of reference on Villanova is always a good thing. So those things have certainly helped me and it's been good to get away. It's made it even more exciting to come back both times. So you're on staff and you mentioned you work your way up and when do you start having ideas that you might want to, not that you want your own program. I think anybody that gets into coaching has thoughts of eventually being a head coach, but when do you start to think, you know what? I really feel like I am ready to take over a program. That's a great question. I mean, I, I know when I felt like I wasn't, you know, I think when you're a part of something like this and you win opportunities come your way. We were, you know, my first couple of years here as an ops guy, and even as an assistant coach, we, we were building it. You know, we were rebuilding it post 2010, um, and we got it to a really good level. We were, I want to say in 2014, maybe a number two seed, number 2015, a one seed. And after both of those offers, off seasons, I had opportunities to interview for jobs and potentially get jobs. And I was probably 32 years old, you know, 33. And I just knew, I, like whether I was ready or not, it didn't matter. Like I just, I wasn't time. Even after 2016, we won it. I was excited to come back. I knew the opportunities would continue to come if I did my job well. And I didn't want to uproot my family yet. Josh Hart was a guy, Chris Jenkins, those guys, I was really, Jalen, really close with those guys. Wanted another year with those guys. And then after 2017, for some reason, it's not that I didn't want to be here, but just just something clicked and I felt mentally and emotionally ready. And, and uh, my gut was, if something makes sense, um, this is a good time for my family and I to try something different and try my hand at running a program. I definitely didn't want to hold on too long. That was something I feared. I feared being in a job where I felt like um, I could routinely do and um, that I wasn't on edge, you know. And so I don't think we ever got to that point here. But that was something I always feared was was complacency and, and not being on edge and and every day. So um, that's probably what drove the drove the decision of the timing. But there were definitely points before that where I just I knew it wasn't time yet. As an aside, one of the things I think that elevated Jay Wright to legend status, aside from the obvious success, is Chris Jenkins hits the shot, and there's the legendary video of Jay calm as can be. You know, I think it was bang. Like, he, you know, he knew it was going to happen and he maintains everything. What was your reaction when Chris hit the shot to beat North Carolina? Do you remember like that 30 seconds of your life when you guys are national champs and the world just exploded? I do. I do. I mean, my my reaction was somewhat muted as well because there was a part of me that wasn't totally sure if he got it off. And I think what our program had done really, and once the guys started, the fireworks went off and the guys were diving on the floor. I, Felt a little bit relieved there, but one thing we handled really well throughout that season and and in past seasons was our composure level modeled after Coach Wright, you know. And so, uh, even when Marcus Page made his his double clutch three against us to tie that game moments before, it was a really composed, calm, positive huddle. We had just been the victims of some pretty bad luck, and I thought that was probably even more than a shot. A moment that all of us are really proud of is that everybody knew what Coach was going to draw up. Everybody knew their roles. Everybody did their jobs in a moment where all of us could be distraught saying, oh, my God, we just blew a lead. So honestly, I was probably still prideful and thinking of that in that moment. And then, again, once those fireworks went off, there was a lot of relief there. 
Was we did talk- not play well down the stretch of that game. That last two minutes was not a was not a masterpiece. <laughs> During your time at Quinnipiac, how long did it take for you to feel like you had your arms around the role of head coach? Not I'm not talking wins and losses, but you know, we talked kind of at the beginning how it's a different world now, but you know, that you felt comfortable and you found your pace leading a program. Probably like end of my second year, I would say I felt good. My, my, our first year, um, we had a really good close to the year, finished with some momentum and um, made the semis of the conference tournament. Second year, we had a winning season. We had the, the Mac player of the year come from our team. Uh, we did a lot of really good things. Felt like we were building momentum. And then like everybody who, no matter what your job was, you know, leading into 2020, the damper COVID put on the end of that season where, again, we had another good team into the following season, I did not, you know, manage the strategy of, of handling a team and, and navigating probably a roster and recruiting during that COVID era where we couldn't see each other as well as I, I wish I could have. And that set us back a bit, but I think we were, I think we were getting our sea legs under us in that second year, you know, really positive year. And then COVID threw us for a loop. And it was almost, I had to, we had one rebuild in the first two years. COVID and then a second rebuild, which kind of took off last year. But yeah, that was, that was probably the timing of it. And I think if not for COVID, I would have had a little bit more uh, momentum and comfort there, but very healthy to have to kind of, while you're learning to be a head coach, also pivot through something that's just unprecedented. Favorite part of being a head coach. Was it like game related or was it more practice related uh, or more kind of off-season recruiting, favorite part of that part of your career? I think it's the same that it would be for an assistant coach, just player improvement to me. Like, I, I just love seeing guys get better. I love seeing guys, you know, like to my ego, it really gets fulfilled when something that you work on or you're stressing works with a player and that light bulb goes off and they buy into it. You know, I think that's the part of coaching and teaching. You know, it's teaching in general where – Hey, you can choose a million things to do, a million ways to do it, but being focused on a couple things and improving in those things and the players, that player buy-in, that program buy-in. When you, when you realize that you have that and you have people that are connected and improving, I mean, that's the part of it. I mean, I would say my least favorite thing would be the one hour leading up to a game. I mean, it's just, you're a coach, you know, all your assistants are out there, the players are ready. You're there by yourself. and. Uh, you just want the game to start, you know, and that, that feeling there's a, there's a pit in your stomach, not necessarily like butterflies or nervousness, but you know, you just, you don't have a, uh, you don't have a function, you know, all the work is done. The haze in the barn, you know, you got a couple of minutes to talk to your team, but you really don't have a function in that moment. And there's nothing you really control. So those are the highs and the lows of the job. Obviously the losing is bad and the winning is relief, you know, but when you're in that job, you can't be, you can't be a victim of just being result oriented or else you'll, you'll never last or be able to enjoy it. How much of you as a coach you think is your dad? How much is Jay? Are you a mix of their two influences? Yeah, they would be the the two predominant people who have influenced me as just a man. I mean, you know, other than my mother as well, but they've shaped the way I look at basketball, certainly the way I look at team the way I look at culture. So certainly those two. And then based on what I've learned from both of them, you're drawn to other leaders in basketball and other sports based on what you care about through them. But they're, you know, my dad, number one, and then 
coach right as I got older. I mean, those are the guys I've learned from and, and, um, because of them, I've had amazing lessons that I've learned and, and amazing opportunities. And my final question in this role as GM, we talked, is there a, an aspect you're most excited about pursuing just because of what it could mean to the program, the impact it could have? Is there one, because I'm sure there are a lot of paths that are going to be in front of you in this new job, but is there one you're the most excited to pursue? I think turning the unknown into an opportunity. I think that's number one. I'm just excited to there's a, there's a there's a new landscape out there and we have the opportunity to make Villanova a, a top competitor in that landscape you know i think that's for me helping us navigate all those things be at the forefront but also remain who we are that's a challenge you know we're never going to be the team of all transfers you know that's not going to be us being able to kind of find that happy medium between everything players are going to have nil opportunities here off court opportunities here making guys feel confident this is a place that they can um, expand their brand and opportunities, but that not be the reason they come. You know, the reason they come is the people that are here, the culture that is here. Those, those are the things that excite me about it because it's easy to talk about, but the buy-in I talked about earlier in terms of coaching, I think our crew here, we need to continue to find a way to get that similar buy-in uh, amongst our recruits, our players, and our alumni here. Baker Dunleavy, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. All right, man. I really enjoyed it, man. Thanks. That will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Villanova University basketball general manager Baker Dunleavy for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, help us out. Leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.